This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is Rebecca Buchanan, a host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Mike McCartney, who's a musician, poet and photographer and the author of a new book from Genesis Publications titled Mike McCartney's Early Liverpool. Mike, thanks for being here with me. Hello. (laughs) Mike, can you start by talking about how this book came about, why you decided to put this, you have a number of collections out there. Why this collection? Because, uh, first of all, can I say hello to all you book lovers out there? (laughs) Hi, from Mike in Liverpool. Is this going to America, Rebecca? Yes, actually, anywhere. It's so, yes, it'll be in America. Everywhere. It'll be all over. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, it's uh, nice to talk to people that uh, like books. It's uh, to get lost in books is a a lovely idea. And that's what I wanted you lot listening to this to be able to do. What I wanted you to do for you is to take you back to a magic era uh, where I was brought up and uh, started my uh, sort of show business career. And in fact, I have just left in New Brighton on the uh, River Mersey in the uh, Mersey side. I have just left one of the members of my um, satirical humor comedy group called Scaffold, originally called the Liverpool One Fat Lady Non-Electric Show, which nobody could pronounce, so we changed the Scaffold. But I've just left John Gorman, the funny one, out of Scaffold to come and talk to you about books. Well, that's all I wanted to do was to... Oh, sorry, we were <coughs> talking with some television people that want to do a, a documentary on Scaffold. So, and again, they will be using uh, certain aspects of Mike McCartney's early Liverpool uh, because an important part of my uh, life and uh, times uh, has always been Liverpool, where I was born and brought up. Uh, now I live over the water, the posh bit. I live in the Beverly Hills of Liverpool. Now, I hear you all a sharp intake of breath there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I live now, overlooking Wales. 
and uh, we're in the top of Wales. That's where I lo- uh, live now. But uh, all I wanted to do with this book uh, was to take you back to a very magical part of Liverpool's history, and that was after the war, when it wasn't doing too well at all, because when you have a, a war like this tragedy that's going on now in Ukraine, uh, when you have such an extraordinary thing uh, happen, happen to you, that and Liverpool was severely damaged, exactly what's happening in Ukraine now. Uh, so I, I, they, it was decimated. Uh, the Nazis came, up, came over our heads and bombed us to bits. So Liverpool, after the war, was not in a good state whatsoever. Uh, so, you know, trying to survive, uh, my dad had a, a job in uh, the Cotton Exchange, which has many connections to America. Uh, my mom was a nurse and a midwife and a health visitor. And sadly, uh, at the start of this book, where I uh, start the early Liverpool, sadly, my mom had uh, passed away. And so um, I was unable to get any photographs myself of my mom, but um, it, it was, uh, this is what happened. So in Liverpool at that time, it was, um, in fact, when I went into show business, my dad and my brother went into show business. He was in a, a rock and roll group, and uh, we both strangely ended up in, in show business. The height of that show was when it first started. My dad was on £10 a week to bring two boys up, as I say, because my mom had uh, died. And so this is, uh, after the war, uh, it was a position in life where we were lived in Liverpool. Liverpool was not uh, even considered as worthy of talking about to down south. We had this dreadful thing. Uh, It was a caste system in in India. It was the class system in Britain where people with posh voices ruled. And it was just a simple case of we had the wrong accents. And so uh, we would say bath instead of bath and bus instead of bath, etc., and so we weren't considered worthy of even uh, being. We were just nothing north of London. It didn't exist. There were just jungles up there. And so that's where we lived. And that's uh, where what we came out of. And so at that time, uh, because of our accents, tell you the truth, uh, if you had a, an uncertain people that went into show business that at that time tried to go down to London and um, exist, survive. Uh, But uh, I I talked to them later. There was a a gentleman, my brother did a film called Hard Day's Night, and his roadie was a gentleman called Norman Rossington. My brother introduced me to him on a film set in London. 
and said, hi, Mike, this is Norm, he's from Liverpool. And Norm said, oh, hello, Michael, how are you? I said, hold on, our kids, but sorry, from now on, if I ever say our kid, uh, that is Liverpool vernacular, Liverpool slang for my brother or sister. That's what our kid is, is that, and in this case, uh, it is my brother. And so he, this gentleman, uh, was supposed to be from Liverpool, and he said, oh, how did you travel down? Would you have a nice trip down? Uh, Jolly Gars on the bus. Uh, what's going on here? You you just said you were from, Paul Arkin just said you were from Liverpool. He said, Michael, you would have to understand that when I came down here originally, I had a, a magnificent uh, scouse, Liverpudlian accent like yourself. And indeed, I can, for this film, I'm going to be talking like a scouser, like a Liverpudlian into film like. But in real life, this is how I speak, because when I came down uh, to London, tried to survive, uh, that beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful accent was immediate death. And so I had to change to this persona, and that is myself now. That's how I talk. And so uh, that's what it was like. That's how heavy it was living up here. And then mainly because of Mersey Beat, I like to think it was... Uh, mainly because of uh, my group Scaffold and Comedy, but it was, to be honest with you, <laughs> and to be honest to your uh, listeners and to your readers, it was mainly Mersey Beat that uh, turned the tables, and it was one of those things that was absolutely magic, and it suddenly, uh, we were, instead of being totally ignored down in London, it was called... Uh, they would he's, listen to you. Oh, hello there, how are you? Uh, previously, say so this is, I remember this, it was almost like a week in, uh, in consciousness. <laughs> I went down to London and myself, I'm from Liverpool, and so went to a party. It was a posh party down in London, and this gentleman and, uh, came over and said, oh, Hello. Uh, what's your name? I said, oh, I'm Mike. This is, uh, right, this is John. We're in a group called Scavrell Jolly. Good. Yes, yes. Total disinterest. And um, uh, where are you from? Oh, we're from Liverpool. Oh, yes. Anyway, Peregrine. He just turned his back on me. Uh, Peregrine, we were talking because I was useless. We were useless to him. We were not going to go any further. I was no use. It had this weird northern accent there from up there total disinterest and uh, in ignorance just turned his back to me talked to Peregrine and the next week it was sort of virtually that insane suddenly Merseybeat had come down to London before it conquered the world and uh, same parties the same chaps the London chaffies and um, hello how, how are you uh, what's your name? So I'm Mike. It's John. Where are you from? Uh, Liverpool. Oh, Charlie. Liverpool. Charlie. Good. Chaps over here. Peregrine. Cecilia. Come over here. These chaps are from Liverpool. How wonderful to hear. Come on. Tell us some stories about this wonderful uh, place called Liverpool, etc. And it was that. In, in Because of Merseybeat, suddenly our accents, our working class Liverpool accents, 
was suddenly uh, acceptable to and the class system was uh, broken down to a great uh, deal until Margaret Thatcher came into Britain. But we won't go into that. <laughs> yes, let's not go into Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> let's not even think about it. She yes, we. Well, I blame her and um, our president at that time for many things that are gone wrong in the world. So. <laughs> These people that lead us uh, are absolutely, and that the person leading Russia, these people, you just think, why did we get such a a bad deal in our cards in life? Why? Well, we don't deserve it. We deserve, the world deserves better than these people that are put, I'm sorry, that we vote (laughs) <laughs> yeah. We voted them there. How insane is that? And all those Russians voted that uh, person. It's, uh, I've just heard that those poor people in Russia are convinced it's a real uh, justifiable war. How sad. And Because they're only fed what the Russian media tell them. And so they're told that they're denazifying this country, this this Ukraine place is baddies, they're very bad, they're coming to get you. And these people, decent citizens, some of them, I was just hearing a Russian girl talk on the uh, radio before, and uh, she said, it's so sad, I'm ringing my parents, my families, a couple of these girls ringing their families in Russia, and the people, and all, uh, you know, sensible articulate, intelligent people uh, have been fed this line that they're the baddies, etc. And what these poor people over here, live over the Russians over here, couldn't believe what they were, they were hearing, that they had swallowed this uh, stuff. And they feel that, uh, that it's a justified war. How insane is that? Anyway, we won't go into that because we'll be here all day. Let's talk about um, early Liverpool. Yes, like, so you, I mean, some of those photographs are some of the first photographs you took. Um, and you sort of talked about what Liverpool was like at the time, but what was it like? Do you, can you share a little bit about what it was like maybe even photographing um, and even looking through your photographs and, and choosing which you wanted? Because many of these have not been seen before. So, like, right, so choosing what photographs you chose to really um, let the reader, let the let us see what this Liverpool was like for you? Well, what it was, Rebecca, <clears throat> was uh, a learning process. I was learning photography because, as I said, my mom died, and I had no knowledge of uh, photography whatsoever. But these giant See, I lived in a house called Forston Road, which the National Trust, <laughs> can you believe, the National Trust of Great Britain, and uh, I think it, all, it goes all around the world, the National Trust, and uh, they usually do palaces, mansions, etc. And so they ended by, uh, buying, uh, to tell you the truth, because of my photography, uh, this little terraced house, two up, two down, terrorist house uh, because of what happened in Thorsten Road is one day uh, none of us were going anywhere 
And so all we're doing is existing. Not very well, as I said, £10 a week. Uh, not a lot to bring up after Mum had passed away. Uh, my dad was bringing up two of his two sons. So three men, growing men, uh, to provide food for and everything that you, you need to put on the table to exist. Uh, and the last <laughs> the list of survival was photography. But these seagulls made the mistake of coming over our back garden in this little house called Forston Road, 20 Forston Road. And the National Trust are doing a big hit on it this year because it's uh, 25 years since they bought it, as I say, because of my photograph. But before those photographs were taken, uh, I had no knowledge of photography. But I saw these giant seagulls nay, albatrosses swooping down over our back garden. And so I thought, the size of them. Uh, Dad used to, uh, he was the secretary of the Speak Horticultural Society in Liverpool. And uh, so he he did a lot of gardening. And I don't know whether it's apple trees or it's lavender or whatever, the midges, whatever, the seagulls were swooping down over our garden to eat them. And it was such an extraordinary situation because uh, these big albatross shadows would come over the garden. So I thought, if I can capture that uh, on the family box camera, now the family box, the Kodak Brownie family box camera, never came out because we couldn't afford to. And it never came out at night because you needed a flash and they didn't have them. So they just had to be taken in day. And it's only for important occasions like birthdays or <clears throat> some weddings, whatever. And so the idea of being outrageous, going up to mum and dad's bedroom, taking the Kodak Brownie box camera out and going down into the back garden and taking my first one. As you said before, you found a lot of photographs in this book that have never been seen. Well, this one that I took uh, and then lost uh, lost it of my catalogue system, as my wife Rowena would say, is non-existent. <laughs> so I'm not very good at everything. I, I come across things all the time, to tell you the truth. And at that time, I took it from the back garden up into the sky, beautiful black clouds, I now know, because I've since found the uh, image. Uh, but then I went on to the roof, the shed roof, uh, overlooking the police training college, and took another photograph up there and thought, I've got these giant albatross seagulls and I'm dying to see them. I've got them on camera. So this is beautiful. Put the camera back in Dad and Mom and Dad's bedroom so that he and Dad would never know. Long story short, I badgered me, Dad, should I get that film, Dad? Dad, Dad should I get that film from the chemist? In those days, you had to put your film in the chemist and they would develop them for you. And so I went to the chemist, got them out, and walking back home, and thought, thought the stupid people would give me the wrong film. There's no albatross seagulls. 
And, oh, hold on, there's my dad, there's my auntie Mel, there's our kid. Uh, it's us, well, where's my big, enormous eagles? And so suddenly saw one of the prints, a little black dot, and then another print, another little black dot. And that, they were that small, you couldn't even see them. And so I thought to myself, ah, there's more to photography than meets the eye. And got on the uh, 86 bus, went up to Allerton Library, which is still there, and went past the fire station, which uh, is in the Penny Lane song, uh, to get to Allerton Library. And that has now changed. It's going to be flats. But Allerton Library is still there. Got all the books out, brought them home, and learned photography from the books, from the library, from books. So this is uh, fortuitous that we're talking about books because that's what you can do when you get a book out. You can learn something. And I learned about photography from books. And you have to buy a, a little tray, put developer in it, another tray for the fixer, and then another tray for the water, and then wash it all, etc. This is how you do photography. And so I learned photography in my back bedroom in Fourth and Road from books. So uh, that was the start of my uh, career in photography. And what's really lovely about this this book and this collection is it's not only your photographs, there's other ephemera in it and sort of stories you tell that connect um, all of these experiences with what you're with um, sort of you learning photography and then as you moved through. And um, so there's some, you know, sort of beautiful pieces within this book that share this experience. Have you actually got the book, Rebecca? I have a, I got a digital copy of it. So Oh, wait till you get the book. <laughs> uh, this firm called Genesis make fine art, limited edition. My book is a limited edition fine art, uh, like coffee table, but very easy. Don't a hint to all you readers now. You have to go, first of all, you're going to have to save up because it's not cheap. When you've saved up, start saving now, because there aren't many of them left. The posh one, I think, is nearly gone, and the collector's one uh, is uh, halfway through. So start saving now and get it. But when you get it, uh, it's such a treat is in store for you. But one hint, don't drop it on your foot, because you'll break your toes. It's very heavy. And so these books, Genesis, do. first of all, it comes in a little coat, a little magic <laughs> coat there with a string on the top. And you undo the string there and you take the little magic coat off the book there. And then there's a box. And in the box there, you see pictures of me and scaffold and, and groups and things are on that box. And then you slide the heavy book out and then your magic experience happens so the digital thing is is nice i'm glad you like that uh, rebecca wait till you get it in your hands honestly these things are works of art 
and they go to such de- that's why they're so expensive they go to such detail and my brother i told you is in a group and they went to hamburg at one stage and they took with them a young man called stuart sutcliffe he was originally in, in the group with them uh, he stayed and he married he, he his partner was astrid kircher was a very fine photographer uh, the two uh, people that I like to see their photographs uh, are Astrid Kircher, because she had uh, my brother's group. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. My brother's group was called the Beatles, and I don't know whether you've heard them. You know, uh, I'm not sure people have. So. Have, you? have you heard of them? <laughs> you know, oh, good. maybe. <laughs> I just thought it was Liverpool. <laughs> no, Liverpool, yes. I've heard of other bands from Liverpool, but... Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, that's what they were called. And Stuart stayed in um, Hamburg. And uh, I thought I wanted desperately to go to art college. But we maybe we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I didn't make it. I was thrown into the wicked world. But when trying to get into art college, I wrote to Stu Sutcliffe in Hamburg and said, Hey, Stu, how do you do murals? Because I knew that uh, it was uh, uh, when my brother's group played in Liverpool, there was a, a group called the Jacaranda. And he and John uh, Lennon, sorry, was a, a bloke in his group called Stu Sutcliffe, and John Lennon was another member of the group. And he and Stu had painted these murals down in the Jacaranda. And in fact, they, those murals that Stu and John did, I, to tell you the truth, I always tell people for years it was Stu's um, uh, murals. And that's why I wrote to him asking how to do uh, but I've since found out it was him and John that did them. And so when uh, the Checkeranda had uh, closed and they were going to open it again, they found the murals and uh, the art college, possibly Liverpool Art College, which I couldn't get into, desperately wanted to. Uh, now, all those 40 years later, he said, hey, Mike, you told me the story about Stu Sutcliffe's murals. Well, they're opening the Jack. Do you want to see them again? So I went down, photographed them, and they, those photographs are in my early Liverpool book. But far more interesting is uh, I asked you about how do you do murals, and he wrote this lovely letter on blue uh, mail envelope to Michael, M-I-K-E-L, McCartney, M-C-K-A-R-T, etc., as a joke. Uh, on the envelope, and then inside he wrote me this long letter of uh, Joyce and James Joyce and surreal imagery uh, for about nine uh, pages. And what Genesis books have done, have uh, I've done high-res scans of the envelope and the letters. They have reproduced in this book and as you go in through the book, you just leap in and say, oh, look, that looks interesting. That, that's, that's Liverpool, that looks nice. You suddenly come on this page, and there's the jacaranda with the murals. But there, stuck in the book, is an envelope, the, the, uh, mail, the blue, uh, 
<laughs> envelope that stews them me. It's like sticking out. You can sort of, you could rip it out. And there inside the envelope is the start and the finish of Stu's letter to me. And you can actually rip the edges like it, like it was, and you can actually take the letter out of the envelope. Now, how is that for insanity and for art and for deep joy? To see that in a book is absolute heaven. Uh, and so, as I'm saying, that's why they're so expensive. Can you imagine? There's 2,000 of them. Uh, 350 posh ones, as I said, they nearly sold. So there's only, oh, it's just that, 350, however many the rest are, uh, half of them are sold. Uh, but just imagine 2,000 books. I've signed every one, by the way. Uh, but in those 2,000 books, there's an envelope with the, these stuck-in envelopes. Each one has that envelope. So therefore, that's why they're so expensive. Can you imagine? Uh, I have signed everyone, so I know what it's like to sign 2,000 books. But they have patiently stuck in these envelopes and the letters, and you can take the letter out and put it back. So it, it's that sort of uh, beautiful. That's what you get when, without the PDF, when you get it in your hands. Rebecca, I look forward to you getting it in your hands and everyone uh, listening and, and reading. And we will say it's not a small book. It's almost 300 mm. pages, too. So there are a lot of images and, and, and you've also sort of shared your stories within it. So there's a great deal. It's not a small text. It's pretty Ooh, no. substantial. Do you know where I found the text idea from? It was from you, from America. The At one stage of my life, can you believe this? Now, the National, the National Portrait Gallery of Great Britain, a very prestigious place, uh, rang me up and I agreed. Uh, they have bought 11 uh, of my photographs for the National Portrait Gallery of Great Britain. I think you're supposed to donate them. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, they bought 11 of my images. And so that is a proud moment of my life. But how about uh, when the Smithsonian Institution, Washington, D.C., asks you for your exhibition? I think it was called Mike McCartney's Liverpool Life. I think that was the book. And in this book, uh, in this, uh, my early Liverpool, uh, the photographs of my brother's group, because uh, as you say, you've even heard of them in America. And so uh, in this uh, one that the Smithsonian wanted, there were no uh, Beatles uh, images. And so they asked for an exhibition. I thought, uh, blimey. The Smithsonian, uh, Washington. Wow, what an honor that is. You know, can we have your exhibition? If you insist, yeah, you can. Yeah, I'll bring it over. Uh, such an honor. So fantastic. So I gave it to them, and I was just waiting because this is uh, the, probably the biggest 
museum in the world putting your exhibition on. So I could understand in a, a, an exhibition of, uh, with no Beatles. I was just waiting for the call. Uh, Mike, you couldn't possibly slip one or two or, you know, Beatles in there, could you? And the call never came. So it was on the uh, in uh, Smithsonian for six months. And then after six months, they uh, contacted and said, can we have your exhibition for another six months? <laughs> well, if you interest, yeah. Uh, yeah unbelievable. I said, why? Well, you know, great. Yeah, of course you can. Uh, you know, why? He said, because it's so popular. There's so many million people. have, uh, And they not only like your photographs, they like your captions. And so that's why in this Mike McCartney's early Liverpool, I have all the captions because what I do now is I look at the photograph and I uh, see it and I say it. All I do is look at the image and tell you, reading it, exactly what it was. And there's some... <laughs> Wait till you get to the one of John... <laughs> In when Gene Vincent has come, one of our rock gods had come to Liverpool. Gene Vincent is down live. I got him live on the cavern stage, and then get the book just to read the story where John is uh, naughty, naughty John. Uh, what he does uh, in one of these stories with Gene Vincent. It's it's very funny. So that's why I, I learned from the Smithsonian uh, about uh, you know the captions are an important part of your book, and that that's why I, that's why, as you say, there are, there are stories in there. Yeah. Yes. Right. And there, and we won't. Well, I mean, we we won't talk about the John Lennon story because um, someone can read the book for it. But but even I exactly. I, I loved um the I really love the photographs of your father and then you have somewhere um I think your father and your brother are both sitting on this chair that had to be reupholstered right and so uh -huh. there's but um there's really sort of lovely images and stories just of being a family and what that well like you talk about living on ten pounds a week and and what yeah, meant and, and did you by the way did you see the drawings of my dad. Yes, and I was going to say that it's a shame you talk about how you didn't get into art school, and that was one of my questions, uh, because I was like, you know, there's a lot of artistic work here, and it looks like you were really invested, and it didn't Oh, uh, I, I love, still do, I still draw done little cartoons called The Weirdos, and in this book, at the end of it, you can, actually, there's a little postcard on the scaffold, and if you do uh, contact the whatever, www.whatever it is, uh, it takes you to these films. There's one of an exhibition at John Moore. I'm an honorary fellow at John Moore's University, by the way. And, and by the way, uh, my country has given me a British Empire medal. Do you realize that, Rebecca? You are talking to a recipient of the British Empire medal that I have just been invited down to London to Buckingham Palace for a garden party, no dear. How do you think of that? And uh, make sure you keep your Liverpool accent when you go, so that they... You said, you said right, all right then, Queenie. I've met her a couple of times. I like the Queen. She's, she's nice. 
some of the family are a bit uh, strange, as you've seen. But uh, the Queen is a lovely lady. You know, talk about my mum was beautiful. But she always reminds me of my mum, the Queen. She's a very classy lady, exactly what my mum was. The trouble is I, I didn't get to see her in the old age. I was 12 when I, when my mum went to heaven. But um, anyway, what, what, we're not talking about the Queen. What were we talking about prior to that? Oh, I was I was mentioning that oh art school a little bit of art school I think came in there and that <laughs> oh that's right and dad yes and those lovely pictures of dad uh, yeah and so I'm glad this is the first time I have ever put my drawings in a book so I'm hoping if you ever see it or get them out get it out the library uh, or buy it uh, you will see these images of my drawings that. Oh, they are my drawings. You get them on the page. And so that picture you're talking about with my dad in the armchair, opposite there is the pictures. I think I call it a serious drawing. And uh, what's lovely about the drawings of my dad, whenever I see them, I think, oh, God, it is dad. Uh, I must have been doing something right because it looks like my dad. <laughs> That's the uh, photograph you're talking about. And the other one, of, uh, I said to our kid, uh, right, um, he's, he's reading The Observer, and there's a, an article about Picasso on The Observer, and you know what Genesis Books have done? That photograph, when you get to that page, there's our kid sitting in the armchair. He puts his leg over the arm of the chair uh, because this is prior to my auntie's knitting the covers to protect us. But he's putting his uh, his leg over the arm of the armchair because uh, the spring used to stick out. We'd worn a hole in the arm. If we were poor. We were working-class people and no money coming in. So all these things over the years, you wore holes in the carpet looking at the black-and-white telly. So we have to have... Uh, strips of carpet and on the famous picture of our kid and John rehearsing to Osora standing there, you will see strips of carpet underneath but underneath the carpet is the hole in the floor where we wore through the carpet and it's brown painted, you could you could see brown painted floor, but this one we're talking about the armchair is our kid has put his leg over to stop the world seeing the spring sticking out and ripping our clothes to shreds. Uh, and what Genesis have done, he's reading The Observer uh, with a, uh, an article on Picasso. What uh, Genesis have done, have found the original cover page of The Observer, the whole page, and stuck it in the book. So you can read what our kid was reading <laughs> that day. Oh, absolute magic, honestly. And you also have all these, you mentioned um, some, you know, the cavern. And so there's all, and I must say that it's it's dingy and old and, and tiny. Um, so there's all these pictures of the cavern as well. And so um, how did you choose which pictures in um, that you wanted to include when you were, you know, choosing those photos or did was that just sort of luck of the draw yes very much 
just look at the drawer, just looking for, uh, looking through my old nigs, etc. <clears throat> and there's one in the, my uh, son Josh, uh, uh, two. I've got six kids, three girls and three boys. And uh, Josh, the eldest boy, was helping me on the scanning for this book. And Sonny is my youngest son, youngest of my six kids, and he is our youngest uh, child because so he helped me on on the computer work. And Max, I've credited Max. He, he is the best tattoo artist in the world. I've create. I've uh, said thank you to uh, Josh for your scanning help. Thank you to Sonny for your computer help, and thank you, Max, for being. <laughs> so I've got him in as well. One of the eggs uh, we were scanning, I said to Josh, this is a, it's our kid's 21st uh, party, and this neg looks weird. Uh, I've been telling people all my life that that is the cake our, our kids, looks like a wedding cake. It's the white wedding cake from our kids' 21st birthday party in Liverpool at Auntie Jin's house and Uncle Harry's house, uh, 147 Diners Lane in Heighton. And uh, I said, look, but look at the neg. This neg looks like a coloured neg. Let's scan it, see what happens. So we scanned it. And there in the book for the first time, there's a lot of first times in this book. As you say, in the cabin, lots of photographs that people have never seen in the cabin. But this one of the, the wedding cake, the, sorry, it looks like a wedding cake. It's the 21st cake. And we scanned it. And you will see in the book, it's a blue. <laughs> it's a blue, uh, like a blue wedding cake. It's a blue 21st, uh, you know, birthday cake. And so uh, a lot of these things is I don't know what I've got till I scan them, till I uh, look at them. And that's what the magic has been. There was one that's famous, one of the Beatles, called John, Paul, George and Dennis, taken in Auntie Jen, Uncle Harry's house. Uh, this was for uh, Cousin Ian's. This was before our kids' 21st. Uh, and this was Cousin Ian's uh, wedding, and Ian and Jackie's wedding. And uh, they were rehearsing, and they were playing, our, our, it was the very early Beatles, one of their first gigs. And this image, I must have been given, it was a, must have been a present from Dad, because black and white film was, you know, expensive enough, but that's why I did my own, much cheaper. Uh, in the back bedroom of fourth, uh, but color photography, uh, you had to be. Uh, Dad was must have been a present, birthday or Christmas present, because he got me a reel of Kodachrome slides, and I, I took this photograph of. It's called John Paul George and Dennis, and it, it's uh, on the left is a very young George, and so whatever age he is, if he's fourteen, I'm thirteen. Uh, then in the centre is uh, John, with looks like a uh, uh, looks like a shaving rash on him. It's a beautiful, very, very clear photograph. And our kids said, "Here, it was not a shaving rash. Rafi's buried." Uh, and on the right is our kid, and on it's such detail. You can see the beer stains 
on my brother's uh, jacket. And then on the right-hand side, and they're all looking at the camera, and there on the right-hand side is Cousin Ian's uh, best friend, his busy mate, Dennis, Dennis Littler, who is just standing there in his fur isle jumper with a half a Guinness. And so he, they're looking for uh, fame. Dennis is looking for oblivion. And they both made it. And so that's a rather well-known image, that one. But going through my uh, next looking for photographs for the book uh, is I saw these slides and uh, I saw the John Paul George and Dennis. There was another one there. There's a couple of other ones. Uh, and... Uh, there is one taken before the John Bolger when they're rehearsing in the back room with our kid on the left singing, George is back. Uh, and you, it's so George Harrison with his sticky out ears. He used to have sticky out ears like me. And, uh, and, and so George, you, you know, you look at it, it's George Harrison. And on the right is John, I think he's singing as well. But I'd never seen that. Uh, image in my life before and so I thought well there's a nice one for the book and so that is in just before you get to the one that is known I put that one that is completely unknown so there's a lot of that in the book a lot a lot of that as Stella would say so I mean so you developed a lot of photos yourself so did you because you talk about and this another thing is yes, it's like a, many black and white, a few color photos. So, um, did you have photos that you never really developed? Did you take photographs and never develop them because you just couldn't afford to develop them for a long? Well, develop them because I could afford to develop and print, uh, particularly when only on when I got the Roly Magic. Our kid bought me this uh, camera from uh, Hamburg. Uh, and he said, oh, you've got to see this camera. Uh, it's a present, so don't, you haven't, I didn't say this, but uh, Astrid has these cameras called Roly Flex cameras. And, uh, but there's a new one called a Roly Magic camera, which is like an automatic and Roly Flex. It's a mixture of the two. So I'm waiting to, for that to come out. Uh, so you haven't heard this, you don't know anything about your present. So that's what came to Liverpool from Hamburg. And there is, you put your film in, and they are two and a quarter, I think there's only 12 on each reel of film. And you uh, would, uh, that the ne the negs and the prints, you can actually print prints, uh, but they're only two and a quarter square inches. And so uh, that's where I uh, not only developed my uh, uh, film, I then printed them uh, in the back bedroom and hung them out because I was a lady's hairdresser uh, uh, for a bit in my life. And uh, I used to hang them, and there's a picture in the book of uh, the early Liverpool book of my dryer. Now, my dark room in my back bedroom uh, was a dark room uh, only when it went dark outside because otherwise all the light would come in and you couldn't do it. And so I had to wait for it to go dark. 
and then there's my dark room, and then my dryer was a piece of string from the mirror into my cupboard, and that is one of the pictures. I put the mirror down on the floor, so I've got my hand up, and uh, there are two bowler hats on the top of the mirror in homage to Magritte. And, uh, but there, you see the actual string, and because it was a lady's hairdresser, the hairdressing clips, you know, when you ladies go have a hair done, and the long hair particularly, they would pin it up uh, with these hairdressing clips and then cut your hair. Well, I used to nick them from Andre Bernard's, uh, the posh hairdressing salon in Liverpool, and they were perfect for holding the two and a quarter neg. Uh, now here, how about this? Uh, some of the eggs over the years uh, get lost, okay? So the only things you have are photographs that you've taken and had printed, or, like I used to do in my thing, uh, hang them on the uh, line, on the washing line, uh, and to, to dry. And uh, had this one occasion once, where Steinbeck's The Pearl was, this is the uh, payoff to this story. And my wife, Rose, said, uh, look, we've got to get a, a, read a lot of, there's too many books. We've got too many books. Can you believe that? That being said, on New Books Network interview, and now New Books in Popular Culture, and we are talking about throwing books away. I can't believe I've just said those words out of my mind, what, out, of my, my, out of my wife, out of my mouth. <laughs> but they were the words that were said, and I said, well, we have got rather a lot of books. So, okay, okay, we'll, we'll throw it. So one of them was uh, John Steinbeck's The Pearl. And so where I thought, I'm never going to read it, we're too busy. So uh, I thought, right. And I saw inside, it was from the Liverpool Institute High School for Boys. I, I obviously taken it for homework or something. I've never taken it back. And so, okay, I'm never got, not going to read this book. And so I threw it on the floor. Uh, as, uh, you know, that. And suddenly, I thought, what was that? Out of it, popped something. And uh, otherwise, if that hadn't have popped out, the next bit, <laughs> pop history. Uh, I thought, what is it? It's a two and a quarter square print. So when you got on your line across your, your room, your string, uh, when you dry them, they curl up, right? The two and a quarter prints curl up. So what, you, what I used to do, I'd forgotten, is I used to put them in books to flatten them. And so I'd put them in John Steinbeck's The Pearl uh, to flatten. So I open all these things, and there's me dad, and there's me brother, there's the fabs, and there's the scaffold, etc. And some of these negs uh, I had totally lost. So the only ones in existence were these two and a quarter square pins. And they were so good that some of them landed up in my garden in Liverpool. Uh, and, and so that is the reality of life. That is the uh, reality of photography. Uh, and that is the answer to uh, a thing. Never, ever throw books away. 
particularly when you talk when you're talking to new books network yeah see then your excuse is we can't throw any of these away there could be a you know all of you reading this now and listening to this now if you throw your books away you could be throwing history away exactly you know, you also have some really lovely sort of more experimental photos that you did with double exposure or triple exposure. So did you play around a lot with that when you were when you were learning photography and when you were taking pictures, especially early on? Was it a, were you trying to do more portraits, a little bit of surrealist work, um, a mixture? Mixture. It was one of a uh, you just uh, you have to learn your trade <clears throat> and it's only taking photographs that uh, it's like writing stories like writing the captions etc it's like like writing stories for books uh, you know your first one can be pretty dreadful it's only when you develop your art and like poetry one of scaffolds members is a poet called Roger McGough it's only by writing poems over and over again only by taking photographs. In music, it's only by uh, my brothers in the other room uh, learning uh, chords on his guitar. I'm learning photography. He's learning music. It's only by going over and over and over. And that that's where uh, there's one of them. Uh, two important pictures are in this book, one of which has been seen before, but it's what happens in this book is you get all high-res scans, and so you see all the detail. And so one that is uh, has become quite famous, and it's an important uh, image in, uh, in in the popular in popular culture. <clears throat> the fact that it is encapsulated it captures uh, my brother and John uh, rehearsing through a school book. Uh, Liverpool Institute High School uh, school book on the floor and you can see in this image our kid is uh, sitting on the table that was made by the neighbour of uh, 12 Ardwick Road in uh, Speak where we used to live before Forston Road the gentleman that lived in our house he made that table Paul is sitting on that John is sitting on the armchair which is now you can see, I think, uh, has the covers put over the spring to stop our clothes being ripped to uh, bits. And they are intently rehearsing uh, on to the school book. But if you turn the book upside down, uh, you'll see in the school book the uh, words, clearly, uh, I saw a standing there. And, but it's not. It is actually something else that's being scribbled out. So originally, the words on that uh, thing were uh, he saw us standing there, or they saw us standing there, or she saw us, him standing there, etc. They were the original, but it's crossed out. And you can see, so that one is, is and it's an important one because it shows our kid and John uh, as they really were, all this. Um, bold ship uh, of um, uh, of our kid and John, all that rubbish 
that went on here, you see, and I think I've been lucky enough to capture it, is the reality of Lennon and McCartney in the, what it was. There are two young men uh, hard at work, in harmony, uh, uh, producing these magic songs uh, for life. And I, uh, and I uh, oh yeah, that's right. Have you ever seen Hamilton? The uh, my wife, Roe, uh, uh, said you should rename that photograph. Uh, have you ever seen Hamilton? I, I have. I have a a, a a young daughter who's just a little obsessed with it. So we actually are going. We've seen it. We're going again now that you know things are opening up again. So yes, if it were up to her, we'd see it every month. <laughs> oh great! So I'm my wife and I are seeing it in London. Uh, when we go down uh, next week again. Uh, but she said, you should rename that photograph of uh, your brother and John and you in that room. I said, how do you mean? She said, there's a song in Hamilton. And it, it's got when, the, I think it's the signing of the, the Declaration of Independence, is it? And the, the title of the song is, No One Else Was In The Room Where It Happened. Yes. You remember that one? Yes, yeah. So no, you should rename that photo. No one else was in the room where it happened. And then suddenly, oh God, she's right. There's, there's only three people in the room. And that that's us. And it was like uh, once my brother said, uh, listen, we're, uh, do, do, have you seen that thing that's on the telly now, the get back thing that uh, they're all talking about? And it, it's... Uh, them uh, in uh, a studio first, then in Savile Row uh, in uh, the old Apple place. And our kid had come home from, uh, I think it was the Twitnam Film Studio, and he said, the, um, we're, we're sort of impasse, we'll get nowhere, we've got, we're doing this film, and we can't think, can you remember, I can't remember, we're just like a dead bit. Can you remember any of the songs we used to do in Fourth and Road, where we lived? And so, <laughs> oh, by the way, do you realise you're talking about you're talking to uh, the first drummer of the Beatles? Did you did you realise that? <laughs> did you mention that in the book? I think you mentioned that in the book as well. Did I? I, th- I think I? so. I you might have. Oh, oh good. Well, I. <laughs> totally forgotten it. It's only because I was doing a tour, a one-man show of, uh, for Britain, uh, and the, the tour was called Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, I Wish. And so I was doing this uh, show in Bristol, and somebody said, hey, is, uh, John Duff from the Quarrymen is here, and uh, he wants to say hello. And so there was the uh, member of the original quarryman in Bristol, lives there now. And so he said, oh, great, love your show, Mike. I said, oh, great. So actually, he said, they were great times when we came to Fourth in Road and you were our drummer. I said, sorry, because in Fourth in, you will see in the book, there is a drum kit. We say in Liverpool, a drum kit fell off the back of a lorry, Okay. So it just appeared in our house. We don't know where from, but I was learning drums. I was learning the drums. And this guy from the quarrymen said, 
we came there and you were our drummer. I had totally forgotten <laughs> this at all. Uh, and so uh, that was uh, part of that. Now, sorry, what was I talking about? Sometimes I go off on tangents. I'm doing very well. Uh, <laughs> no, you were talking about... readers so yeah, far. You were talking about, you know, your photograph of your brother and John. And I will, I will say that mm. how the photographs you have and how you talked about them um, really showed that these were two teenagers and young men who were the best of friends right and were yeah, in, like, yeah. and that's and what it was and enjoying realized, each other uh, you know taking the one of uh Lennon mccartney uh but they're just rehearsing with their guitars to the uh, school book i suddenly realized one <laughs> that may be just as important or even more important let your readers be the judge of that is is in the book, and you just see our kid in the back bedroom. I put a sheet over the back because uh, I'd learned in my books from the library that you have to have a background. And so this was a sheet, and because we didn't have a mum, it was an unironed sheet, a crinkly sheet in a white sheet in the background. But I suddenly realized it's it's our kid uh, writing in a book, a school book or something. He's actually composing. And so I suddenly realized, oh, bloody hell, not only did I get uh, Lennon McCartney rehearsing to a school book, I've got uh, the McCartney of the Lennon actually writing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, that's it. it's a wonderful life, isn't it? Yes. Um, we've been talking a while. I don't know if you want to keep talking or not. If you have anything, um, you you know, you have the a lot of pictures of the scaffold in there as well, and some of that time. I don't know if there's any. Ah, uh, now, you now you're talking, Rebecca. <laughs> now you're talking. This is what we should be talking about: real, you know, real art, real. Now this group. Do you realize you're talking to the man that was in the group that was originally called the Liverpool One Fat Lady Non-Electric Show, which became a scaffold who introduced decimalization to Great Britain. Did you know you're talking to that man? <laughs> no, but I did love the original title of the group. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Nobody can pronounce it. Here they are. It's the Liverpool Fat Lady. Uh, here they are, the one electric uh, dream. Uh, uh, oh, get on. <laughs> Change your name to Scaffold. It's easier. So uh, that's what we did. Nova Scaffold are lovely. They're now talking about as a, a, a lovely small firm called Cherry Red, Esoteric are the ones that have done my Woman album, my McGough McGear, and my McGear albums. And they do beautiful. They're very small and intimate, and they love what they're doing. And they produce box sets. And in the box set, the McGear one, is they had a, a, a vinyl uh, of my McGear album. They had a CD with songs that were uh, not on the album that I recorded with our kid in Savile Row, come to think of it. Uh, therein lies a story. And all the, the poster in the, in the box set, a book, etc. And they're talking about doing one of these, uh, a compilation, a definitive scaffold collection of 
satirical stuff and silly songs, etc. And it's a compilation, so I call it the scaffolation of music and film of others performing some uh, magic stuff. We were, I don't know whether you uh, knew this, we were, scaffold, uh, were compared in the 60s to the second city. Is that from Chicago? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we were compared to that. I saw a picture the other day of Joan Rivers. I didn't know she was in the second city. And was Belushi, I don't know. But second city was... Uh, uh, they always said, oh, you're... Like, and Americans would come over, see our stuff, and say, oh, you're... The nearest we can equate you to is the second city in Chicago. So, uh, but that's, that's a weird satirical comedy uh, commenting on, even in our silly song, the Thank You Very Much song that I wrote, The Scaffold, which was the Queen Mother of Great Britain's Prime Minister and the Queen Mum's uh, favourite record. How about this? This is the Prime Minister of Great Britain. And because we were satirists, I'm sorry, but we were against the Vietnam War. <gasps> you rascals, you, how dare you? But we, you know, we were satirists. And so, like today, we're against this, what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, we would have song, put it uh, in our song. We did these silly little songs. And this, thank you very much, was a, a silly little song. Actually written to thank my brother for a Nikon camera, to tell you the truth. And uh, so we, we had done that. But in this, Silly little song. Thank you very much for the entry. Thank you very much, etc. Was a line, and it's a little, very simple line, and it, it's uh, thank you very much. And for the cultural heritage, national beverage, being fat, the nursery rhymes, the napalm bomb, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you very, 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 very. We had put these dreadful words, uh, the napalm bomb, quietly. And because we were satirists, we had to, but we, it was a way that we wanted to uh, do. We don't want to uh, smash your, your heads and your hearts in. We just wanted to say, look, we don't agree with that. So we slipped it in uh, as uh, satirists. So that's all that. And they are thinking of doing them as a, a, a scapulation, doing all, all those stuff. And also, I've just left a, a TV people that want to do a documentary, an hour-long uh, documentary. So all you readers out there, hopefully this year, uh, you know, you will see, you'll hear the scaffolding, all our insanity, our madness, our deafness uh, on record, and hopefully see us on telly in a documentary uh, about... Uh, us and our, uh, what we used to do. And because of your photographs, are you were you sort of like the one who recorded that, at least photographed some of that history and that experience? Did you have anyone else sort of um, recording that at the time? Or was a lot of that just because you were also taking pictures? When I went into scaffold, I uh, stopped. That's why there aren't many of my photographs of scaffold. Uh, you know, some little private ones, maybe. Uh, but uh, that's why I stopped taking photos, because when I went into scaffold, people were taking photos of me all the time. And so uh, that's when I uh, stopped scaffold photographs. I, I kept 
shooting other things because I have loved, always loved uh, photography from the giant albatross seagulls uh, to today when uh, I'm thinking, I'm looking out my window over, uh, it's a beautiful sunset we have here. Can you hear that? Yep. Could you hear that beep beep? That means the phone is going to go off. Okay. It's dying. The battery is dying. And that means we're, we're over. We're, we yes. We have to finish. <laughs> well, you Sorry know. About that. No, you are good. It was really, Mike, it was wonderful talking with you again. Mike McCartney, who has a lovely collection of photographs. Mike McCartney's early Liverpool um, that will, is available through Genesis Publications. Mike, thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, Becca, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sorry I wouldn't stop talking <laughs> on and on and on. Thank goodness the battery has solved all our problems. It, it yeah. <laughs> See, technology, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, but thank you so much, and thank you for um, sharing your stories and all of that. It's wonderful. <laughs>